I'm going to read uh, the scripture that we're sharing from. And if, you, um, if you've um, not been here uh, in the last few weeks or if you're new with us, uh, we are and have been for, since Easter speaking from the Sermon on the Mount, talking about what it looks, to, looks like to walk in the resurrection. So uh, since, uh, since Easter, uh, we celebrate the resurrection and we, uh, we recognise that we're a resurrected people that find new life in Jesus, then we, for these uh, weeks of the year, have been looking at what that looks like and Jesus gave us a pretty, uh, pretty good summary of what that looks like in this sermon. And so... We've been looking at a point, uh, one topic each week. And so this morning we're going to be looking at Matthew 5 from verse, let me just find it, 34, or actually 33. You've also heard that our ancestors were told that you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows that, make, that you make to the Lord. But I say do not make any vows. Do not say by heaven because heaven is God's throne and do not say by earth because the earth is his footstool and do not say by Jerusalem for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say by my head for you can't turn one hair white or black. Just say simply, yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your instruction to us. And above all else, we thank you for your word to us, who is Jesus. Your word that is yes and amen. Your word that does stand true, your word that proves true in our life, Lord, and that your word that will prove true in the earth, that will, as you have promised, see all things made new. We pray this morning as we encounter your word that we would be led to see Jesus, that we would be led to know more of who you are, that we would be led to be more like you, that we would be your people. In Jesus' name, amen. I like the more poetic version of this verse. This is, let your yes be yes. I think I like that version because it reminds me of the scripture that I used to be so... I don't know, it, it just used to make me want to try and figure things out when I had, uh, I had leaders and, and those who were around me when I was a young Christian who would often talk about uh, the verse that says that all God's promises are yes and amen. And it was taught to me as if, Everything that we ask for from God will be a yes. You know, if we just 
believe the right way or, you know, it's all, always in a little bit of a framework, but kind of that was the impression, especially as a young Christian and who knows teenagers, if you have any kind of hear what they want to hear. So here's me listening in the sermon that all of God's promises, all of God's answers to what you ask is yes and amen. And I'm going, this is great. I don't mind this message at all. If I ask God for something, he says the answer is yes and amen being it will be done or let it be done. And so I'm all for that. And it was, but I'm also, uh, I'm also someone who thinks, you know, I'll go away around and, and in a quiet zone and, and maybe it was because it was uh, sometime around the year 2000 and so uh, I didn't have Facebook to keep me distracted all day or, um, you know, social media or all of those sort of things and I certainly didn't have four plus extra, you know, uh, children in the house to keep me busy from thinking about stuff. So I would go home and try and figure out how this all works in the world I existed in. Because even in my reality as a young Christian going home where most of my family weren't really that happy that I was going to church, some of my family actively trying to, you know, encourage me to just be normal like the rest of the family and uh, stay home, you know, and, and do what they were doing on the weekends. And, and, and so things for me at home didn't always look like what, I imagined this yes and amen promise to be. And as I walked, and as people who I knew loved God and served God, and the reason I knew that is because of the way that they loved me and looked after me, encountered things that didn't look anything like that promise that I thought was yes and amen. When my youth pastor, who was an incredible man of faith and, and had, you know, served and, and loved the church and, uh, and gave everything, when they lost their first baby just a few weeks before uh, he was due to be born, I had to try and figure out what this meant for this yes and amen promise. When I walked through things, my friends, when my friends who I prayed for didn't come to church or when they came and they didn't lift their hand, when they came and lifted their hand but they still went home and used drugs again or went back to what they were doing and didn't come back to church the next week, I had to try and figure out what this meant. And I landed on one thing, that if all of God's promises are yes and amen, then maybe what I was asking for wasn't what God had promised. And I've come to understand as much as I think we can in our limited way, that I was looking in the wrong place for what God's promises were. That I was looking for what life had to offer, not what God had to offer, because God says he sent his son. So 
See, God's yes is yes because his promise is Jesus. His yes has always been yes and his word always stands true because his word is Jesus. Let me open up this verse for a little bit. Now I spoke, and it was probably quite a while back now, and you might not have been there, about how these early chapters of the Sermon on the Mount talk about the law or the instruction and how Jesus gives a new instruction. And we often read it as, well, here was the law that we would obey before, but here's a new more difficult, let's be honest, law to keep. That's how we read it. And if we read it like that, we miss the point. Because it's not here is the law and here's a new law. It's here is the law and here is the judgment according to that law. So if uh, you're, take the easy example, if the law says not to murder, the judgment is anyone who has hated has murdered in their heart. And then the third part of that statement is the salvation that Jesus brings to the world. He then says how it is that we can live differently, that gives us freedom from the law and the conviction. The law says that this is wrong. The conviction says we're all guilty, but Jesus says that we're his and we're saved. So what does this have to do and why do we come to this point where it talks about how we're to let our yes be yes? Well, it's all got to do with this thing called relationship. And it's all got to do with this picture of what Jesus is leading us into. See, we can't be who God is calling us to be without each other. I read something yesterday that said it is Emmanuel, God with us, not God with me. We so often want God with me, but he says I'm God with you all. See, we can't have what he promises without being willing to address issues in our relationships. And so this passage comes right after a passage that talks about marriage and talks about keeping that commitment and what that looks like. Why? Because our relationships are a picture of who God is when we do them well and how far we've got it wrong when we don't. Why do we need truth? God wants us to know who we are in him and he wants us to know each other and we can't do either without honesty. The Bible talks about sin or transgression as something that breaks relationship. So much of what is outlined in the instructions that we're given and how to treat each other comes down to a simple truth that God wants us to be able to build 
a community in which we can trust each other, where no one is mistreated, where everyone has equal value and where everyone experiences the love that he intended for his children to experience. There can be no unity without truth. We can't even have unity in ourselves when we have no truth. When we are not living in, I guess, integrity would be the word, when we're not living in a place where we're true to who we are and what God's doing in our lives and all the mess and all the stuff that comes along with that, but all the goodness as well, when we're not true to that, then no one really knows us. So those that we surround us ourselves with don't know us. And without having that, there can be no unity because unity comes through understanding, it comes through empathy, it comes through a relationship that only comes with genuine connection. See, broken relationships are the result of a desire for either uh, seeking to make ourselves feel better or be better than someone else. So either we seek comfort and so we uh, allow ourselves to mistreat people or uh, even to come to a place where we misrepresent who we are to people because it makes us feel better about ourselves. Or we mistreat people because we think that we are better. Either way, there's no uh, real relationship. There's no connection that comes through that conversation, the knowing and understanding each other. We need truth to build the kingdom. We need the truth that is Jesus, who offers us the hope that we actually can face our own truths, overcome things that we're uncomfortable with, be honest with people, trust people, and even have that trust broken, but be able to be healed and reconciled. Or to be healed and set free of the hurt because of who God is to us. The kingdom of heaven is a kingdom where people are truth tellers and promise keepers because we have to be able to have integrity to connect with one another. We can so easily fall into the trap of misrepresenting who we are. See, this isn't all about just, did you do this? No, I didn't, but really you did. It's not all about the person that tells elaborate stories that didn't happen or the person who lies to get out of a situation. But this is about us being real, us encountering a real Jesus who seeks for us to be able to represent him to a world that really needs him.
bankruptcy lies aren't so always so overt. Sometimes we lie with our Instagram accounts or our credit cards. We lie with our smile. We lie with our presence or our absence in situations. We have ways of our yes not really being our yes. We all find ways around it. We all find ways to rationalise it. But seeking Jesus forces us to actually find ourselves as well in the process. And in finding ourselves, we can become a community that actually know each other in ways that creates trust and unity. It's not always going to be perfect this side of eternity, but this is the hope that we're called into in relationship with Jesus. I spoke last week about how important equality is in the picture of the kingdom where God is leading us. Integrity and intimacy, not actually knowing ourselves and allowing others to know us are both incredibly important in relational equality. Because as long as we're hiding something, we will use things to cover situations or, or, or to be a person that we're not. How can we stand equal to someone if we don't believe we're worth enough to be known? It's as simple as this, to give of ourselves, which is what we're called into. When Jesus says to take up our cross, we know that his cross was a self-giving. It was love that poured out his life for us. And so how can we be invited into that, to give of ourselves? if we're not willing to recognise who we are, if we're not willing to acknowledge our faults and failings or even embrace that which God has placed in us that are our giftings and abilities, the things that make us different or the things that make us the same as everybody. See, some of us like to be different and so it's harder to acknowledge the fact that we're probably just a lot like everyone else. I'm having a moment of honesty. See, integrity. I'm, I'm working on it. But when we're called to take up our cross and invited into the self-giving kind of love that Jesus showed us, then we need truth. We need to know who we are. We need to be known by others. Otherwise, we're not really, whatever we give is not us. It's not self-giving. It's like 
giving away something that didn't really belong to you in the first place. It's like buying someone a gift on a credit card that you're probably not going to pay back. I mentioned last week the whole earth filled with the knowledge of God is one of the things that is repeatedly represented in the scripture that is a picture of what God's world is supposed to look like. The whole earth filled with the knowledge of God and how did God set about making that happen, he stepped into the world and allowed himself to be seen and known. And he gave of his whole life for all of humanity. Um, Ros can come and I'm just about finished. I said I wasn't going to be long this morning. Because this isn't complicated, but it is. It's simple, but it's so important. To let our yes be yes doesn't just mean with our words, but it does mean that. It doesn't just mean telling the truth when we're confronted and being willing to own what we've done wrong, but it does mean that. It doesn't mean being willing to confront what's going on around us and actually speak to a situation that needs truth, but it does mean that. It's all of those, but to let our yes be yes, the way that Jesus looks like, is to be willing to give of ourself, not a constructed reality or projected reality, not a protected reality. But an honest one. One that actually means that we might get hurt in the process, kind of like Jesus did. It wasn't without consequence that he gave himself over. Found himself crucified by the people that he came to save. Rejected by the ones that he'd called his. Rejected by people even forsaken by those who'd walked right alongside him. But don't miss that when we're asked to take up our cross and follow him, that he asks us to do that all of us and each of us and he makes a way for us to do that 
by inviting us to be known by the only person who can really teach us who we are. To be known by him. He says that he knows us inside and out, that he created and formed us. It's incredible that we try to hide from God in our shame. And then we hide from each other. See, as soon as we start to hide things, we see it as straightforward and as early in the picture of humanity as the first few chapters of Genesis. When Adam and Eve called out in the garden by God for what they'd done, were actually just called to come and speak to him, hide and immediately blame one another. It's when we hide relationships falter. A lack of truth will lead to a lack of unity. And we know that as the people of God, we're called to demonstrate who he is to the world by the way that we love one another. In these seats and beyond. If his yes is yes, then we're called this morning to consider whether we will allow our yes to be yes. Understanding that he said, yes, I have come not to condemn the world but to save it. Understanding that we're never going to get it right and if you were to consider honestly at the end of each day, you would find a hundred ways where you haven't been true maybe to what you thought or felt or thought who you were was going to be. But being willing to get up the next day again and follow Jesus. Be made perfect as I am perfect. The instruction we're given is not to get it all right, but actually to be at peace with everyone around us and with ourselves. And that has got to begin with truth. We're invited to know the truth who would set us free. We're invited to speak the truth to set others free. And the alternate is true is when we choose not to, then things that God intended for us to be free from remain an issue in our lives and things in the world that should have been or should not have been remain unchanged because truth hasn't been spoken because Jesus hasn't entered into those situations. See, when we begin to walk in who we are with integrity, there's something that comes 
with that that is in authority. Because of who Jesus is. If you've ever encountered someone who just lives their life with honesty, it doesn't, like, it's amazing how many people rationalise some of the public figures that have come to prominence and one of the things people say is, well, at least they say what they think. Or at least they're honest about what they believe. There's something that people are attracted to with, within that ability to be honest or open. How much more if we could be changed and transformed by the love of God, allowing ourselves to be known and give of our lives the way that he led His yes is always yes. When he says that we are known by him and loved by him and invited to be made whole in relationship with him, this is a promise we can trust. Not like the ones I spoke about at the start where everything is always going to go your way. Not like the ones that put faith in the substance of the world. But a promise that gives substance to our faith. That means we live in a way that looks like who Jesus says we are. So this morning I want to give you an opportunity. I think the first time we do this in our kind of church's context might be when we're invited to acknowledge that we need Jesus. That we need to invite him into our life. We need to ask for forgiveness, recognizing that we haven't been able to do it all on our own and that we need him to lead us to do it his way. This is why confession is so important in our walk with God, recognizing where we go wrong, whether that's confession to one another that helps us to move beyond things that we've done to hurt one another or whether that is confession to God that recognizes that we've failed, we haven't quite got it all together, but he made a way for us to be able to wake up and try again the next day. He made a way for us to begin to be different, to live differently, for our honest and real self to actually begin to look like what we would hope that we look like, to begin to look like what he says that we should look like. And as we do that, 
we become the church that he says that we should look like. With every eye closed in this place this morning, I want you to take a moment to consider. The call that Jesus sets in front of us. To let our yes be yes. To represent his faithfulness to those that we say that we're going to help or meet or be there for in doing what we said we were going to do. Letting our yes be yes in representing who we are to those that we encounter in a way that has integrity. And that doesn't mean that you have to have full open disclosure with every person you meet, with everything you're about. Because integrity just means everything aligns. And so you might not tell the full story, but what you do tell is part of the real story. Choosing to live a way that means that you're not pretending with finances or resources or what you wear or what you drive or where you live to be someone that you're not. Letting your yes be yes on social media, the way that you represent who you are, whether that means being honest about what God is doing in your life and giving him glory for what he has done and will do and who he is to you. Or recognising and representing things in a way that gives an honest picture. Well, none of us are going to paint, you know, you don't go and take a portrait when you've just woken up and you're still in your pyjamas, no one expects us to lay everything out. But do you pretend to be something that you're not and use those forums to hide who you think you really are? Would you invite Jesus to lead you in your yes being yes? If you've never recognised before your need to ask God for forgiveness, that we can't do it all on our own. If you've never invited him to come and lead you in doing things his way, then the first place that we can let our yes be yes is recognise that we are his creation 
We are his and we need him. That we are not perfect, we don't know everything, we don't get it all right. We don't even always tell the truth when someone asks us how far away we are. We say we're around the corner when we're still in bed. We misrepresent all the time. He recognises his church that Jesus is the way. He is the king. When he was riding into Jerusalem and people were gathering around and shouting holy uh, and shouting Hosanna, shouting that he was the Lord, uh, he was the king. Critics came to Jesus and said, how can your disciples say this? You need to tell them to be quiet. And he said, if my people won't declare the truth, then even the rocks will cry out. See, nothing stands in the way of truth being truth. We are invited to participate in who he is. Nothing will stop God being God. He remains no matter what we decide to do or how far wrong we get it. And we're seeing so many ways which God reveals himself to be truth. But we can choose to stand by or we can choose to be the ones that declare, that make way for the king, that tell the world who he is and that invite them into his truth as well. There's a great story in Luke 24 where two disciples are walking towards Emmaus and they're looking really downcast. And Jesus joins them and asks them what they're talking about. And they're really surprised and say, are you the only one that hasn't got a clue what's been going on in Jerusalem? And they talk about this prophet Jesus having died, being killed. And not only that, but he's been buried and their companions have just been there and his body's gone. Like the worst of the worst. And Jesus listens and listens patiently. But then after some time he says to them, why didn't you believe what the prophet said? And explain to them, verse by verse, all the scriptures that related to Jesus. And they arrived in Emmaus, and it was evident Jesus was going to walk on, so they said to him, no, stay with us, it's getting late. And then at dinner, 
Jesus takes the bread, gives thanks, breaks it, and gives it to them. And in that moment of the breaking of bread, they realize who Jesus is. N.T. Wright, who's one of the great theologians and I think many would say the greatest New Testament scholar of our time, says that this is the most graphically told story in the New Testament and could easily be used not just for a sermon but for a whole series. Now the good news is I'm not doing a sermon. But I just want to take a couple of points out of that. And I think it fits so well with what Tara has been talking about. And when we look at that passage, what we realize is that Jesus is this incredible example for all of us, as we know. But first of all, he connects with them. What is it that you're so worried about? Then he listens to them, and he listens. So he shows incredible patience (laughs) when he must have been so frustrated. And then he spoke to them in an encouraging way, which they said took them from a place of despair to where they could feel this burning in their hearts. Can you imagine having been there, having been present and just hearing Jesus explain all of this scripture by scripture? Where were podcasts when we needed them? Then he brought bread with them. And it's interesting that in verse 24, they use the term companions. Our companions had been to the the tomb. Um, Other translations just put it as friends. But the difference in the meaning really goes back to the Latin in the early days. So companion meaning Latin for kamas with, meaning with, and the panion are bread. So it would be with bread or It would be like we had a group of friends, but among those friends, there were the special friends that we would share a meal with, the companions. And while that meaning may have changed today, the idea still stands that we take time out to spend with people. And maybe in our culture today, it's it's not having a meal with people, but maybe it's taking time to have a coffee. So it's not just that high and by, chat about the weather, but it's intentional time where we can listen patiently, then encourage. And I said, we can do this over a coffee, we can do this on a Sunday morning when we stop. Or in fact, an even greater way that this church offers and many others is the whole idea of the small groups, the connect groups, where we can get to know a few people and share and listen and encourage. And I think that whole concept, again, of what Tara talked about, the integrity, the intimacy, where we're sharing not stuff that we're uncomfortable with or didn't want to share anyway, but sharing something of our journey so that we're allowing ourselves to be open for others to also share with the idea of encouragement. So as we meet around the table, we just realize that Jesus, his Father, the Spirit, are there to listen to us, 
they're there to encourage us. And it's regardless of our state right now. You know, this whole thing about our perception of how evil we are, how sinful we are, how terrible we are. Um, I heard somebody say recently, and it's so true that, you know, God doesn't do guilt. God doesn't do shame. God does forgiveness. God does love. And the word communion, again, it's really interesting with the same sort of Latin root of communion. It's we come in union, with union, in union around this table now, in union with God, but it's in union with each other. There's only one union. It's with God and each other. So this is the table. It's not of the church, but it's of the Lord. It's made ready for those who love God and for those who, who want to love God even more. So come, you have much faith, and you who have little. You have been here often, and you who come for the very first time. You've tried to follow Jesus, and you've failed, as, most, as we all have, in following Jesus. And you just decided to follow Jesus for the first time. Come, let nothing keep you from this love's feast. Let nothing empty this table of its power. Leave judgment behind. Leave this self-perception of how bad we are behind and receive mercy. Leave indifference behind and recognize the union within God's family. Leave now if necessary and you go and be the forgiver. Then run back. Because it's the Lord who invites you. It is God's will that those who desire Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit should encounter him here. So come. There's been a, a theme throughout today. We've seen it in communion, we see it in the sermon, that it's all about relationship, authenticity, integrity, to be who we are in light of who God is. Relationship is the heartbeat of the universe. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Before we finish, I just want to share really quickly a, a quote. It says this, To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear, but to be fully known and truly loved is, well, it's a lot like being loved by God, is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of self-righteousness and fortifies in us anything that life can throw at us. And Tara also said today in the sermon that um, you know, there, there are many people out there who are honest and you see those people on Twitter, but they often don't have that inward formation of, of Christ in them. So that's why we do this benediction um, every, every week to end the service. We 
allow this benediction to wash over us each week as we say it. So over time we become more formed into the people um, that we speak, that, that we are <laughs> called to become in this benediction. So we're going to read this together. If you are able and willing to stand, let us read together. Church, we come here as we are, but by His grace we are sent out not the same. For in this place the Spirit that anointed Christ has been poured out on us. He's exchanged a crown of beauty for our ashes, the oil of joy for our sorrow, a garment of praise for our spirit of despair. He has spoken over us a new name, oaks of integrity, and prophesied we will grow into a canopy of his beauty to bless and rebuild this city in his unfailing, non-violent love. So go, broadcast good news to the poor, bind up the brokenhearted, prophesy freedom for captives, let the blind see, set free the oppressed, live jubilee and forgive, blessing our enemies, because Christ has shut the book on vengeance. Go now in his liberating grace that pardons and empowers sinners like us to participate in God's kingdom of mercy. And all of God's people said, Amen. Have a blessed day.